In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a senior at Virginia Theological Seminary in Northern Virginia, right outside the D.C. Beltway, one of my duties was coordinating the schedule of evening prayer services at the chapel. And these student-led liturgies had a different theme each night of the week, uh, going from angelic, chanted evensong to a much more contemporary uh, praise and worship service with guitars. And I led the service, which was held on Friday evenings at 5.30 in the chapel. It was spoken evening prayer directly out of the prayer book. Now, the dean and president of Virginia Theological Seminary is present with us in the congregation this morning. And I am sure that the very Reverend Dr. Ian Markham would attest to the holiness of all VTS seminarians that his students pray without ceasing, not only during their waking hours, but also during their sleeping hours. However, as one who was not too many years ago a member of that motley group of women and men, brothers and sisters, let me assure you that VTS seminarians had many other things that they would rather be doing on a Friday evening than to be in the chapel at prayer. And so that Friday evening service was the service that had the lowest attendance of all during the week. And occasionally, I was the only person present. (laughs) And so one Friday afternoon, I headed over to the chapel a little after five and got myself settled and was sort of calming myself and centering myself and wondering, is anyone even going to show up? And about 5.25, I heard the door of the chapel open And I looked up, and there, to my surprise, the most reverend Frank Griswold, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, was walking down the aisle towards me. Now, the presiding bishop happened to be on campus for a meeting that day, and he decided to conclude his day with prayer. Well and good for him, however... That afternoon's officiant was terrified. I did not in any way, shape, or form feel equipped to lead the liturgy with the presiding bishop as the only member of my congregation. (laughs) And so I did what any smart seminarian would do in that situation. I graciously offered that he should officiate. (laughs) And he, being the most reverend Frank Griswold, said, no thank you, young lady. We're going to go exactly as you had planned. You lead the service. And so there we were, the two of us, 
a seminarian, and a presiding bishop, together raising our voices in prayer to the Lord in a beautiful chapel on a Friday afternoon. Now, I still recall the shock and trepidation that I felt at the thought that the presiding bishop was totally focused on me. And he wasn't even God. (laughs) He may have seemed like God in that instance, but he wasn't. So I can only imagine the feelings going through the minds of the prophet Isaiah and the disciple Simon Peter from today's lessons when to their surprise they realized, oh yes, it was the living God literally right in front of them. And so perhaps a review of their stories, brothers and sisters, and more importantly, God's response may have something to teach us about our own spiritual journey. So the prophet Isaiah encountered God in the temple. God is sitting on the throne, and the text tells us that the hem of God's garment completely filled the temple. Could you imagine if the hem, just the hem of a garment, completely filled every corner of this space? That's what it must have been like for Isaiah. And the close proximity to God brings to mind all of Isaiah's sinfulness and brokenness. And so he cries out, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, the King of hosts. Isaiah doesn't even feel worthy to be in God's presence because of his sinfulness. Now, luckily for him, there are seraphs in attendance. And one of those seraphs takes hold of a burning coal, flies over, and puts it on Isaiah's mouth. And that serves to blot out all of Isaiah's sins. And so when God asks, Isaiah, are you willing to serve me? His response is, here am I. Send me. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I often wonder about the speed and the tone with which Isaiah responds to God. So often, we hear that passage read, Here am I, send me. And perhaps that's because the translators have included an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. But remember, brothers and sisters, there are no exclamation marks in the original Hebrew version. In fact, the Hebrew doesn't have any punctuation marks at all. 
It's just a series of letters going from the left to the right without any commas or periods or any punctuation marks. So we don't really know the tone with which Isaiah responded to the Lord. And in fact, if Isaiah is anything like me, when I realized that God was calling me of all persons to ordain ministry, I imagine the response going a little like this. Hmm. I mean, I guess I am the only one here. So, okay, God, you're really going to send me? For me, there would have been a question mark. Definitely not an exclamation. I'm sure that there was probably some uncertainty in Isaiah's response. Because brothers and sisters, being in the presence of God can shake anybody's confidence. And yet Isaiah's humanness, his brokenness, was not an impediment to service to God. Now, the second story that we heard that has to do with being in the presence of God is the story of Simon Peter and James and John who encountered Jesus in a very different context. They were in the midst of going about their everyday lives as fishermen. And Jesus was standing on the banks of the lake preaching to large crowds which had gathered. And he wanted to give a little distance between himself and the crowds. And so Jesus jumps into Simon Peter's boat and asks Peter to set out a little bit from the shore. Then Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, let down your nets. Now, we don't have any evidence that Peter was an accomplished orator, preacher, teacher, or miracle worker. But one thing Peter knew how to do, and that was fish. So I can sort of hear in Peter's voice, Jesus, we know what we're doing. This is not our first rodeo. And we have been fishing all night, and we haven't caught a thing. And yet, because you have asked, we will let down our nets. And of course, right, we know from the text how the story ends. They caught so many fish that the nets were almost breaking, and they had to call a second boat to come and help take in the haul so that they would not go under. This incredible haul reveals to Peter exactly who Jesus is. <coughs> Excuse me. And his initial reaction to being in the presence of the living God is the same as Isaiah's. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, Peter cries out. He's totally overwhelmed at being in the presence of God. Now, there is no burning coal or flying seraph to blot out Peter's sins. Ultimately, we know 
that it is through the waters of baptism that Jesus' followers will receive salvation. But brothers and sisters, there's an important message for all of us in what happens in the interaction between Jesus and Peter. Clearly, baptism is not a prerequisite to doing the work of the Lord. God can call any person at any time from any background or walk of life into God's service. And so right there on the boat, Jesus commissions Peter and says to him, you are no longer going to be fishing for fish. No, I'm going to get you to fish for people. So two stories of men who find themselves in close proximity to God whose immediate reaction was a heightened awareness of their own brokenness. And it's very natural that they would have those feelings. After all, all of us experience periods of doubt and insecurity about whether our lives are on track, whether we are headed in the right direction. That's just part of what it means to be human. It's part of the human condition to question and doubt. And a part of that inquiry, for those of us who are people of faith, is asking, well, where do I stand in terms of my relationship with God? Am I doing things that are pleasing in God's sight? Are there things that I need to work on in terms of that relationship. So the issue, it seems to me, is not whether we have doubts or questions. No, the issue is how do you and I choose to respond? Can we, in the midst of our own brokenness and frailty, still believe that God is inviting us to help bring about God's kingdom right here on earth? Do we have the courage to respond, here I am, Lord, I'm not perfect, I'm pretty flawed, and I don't know how you can use me, but to whatever extent you can, I'm willing and able to serve you. Brothers and sisters, God is well aware of every flaw we have. There is nothing hidden from God's holy and penetrating sight. But the other part of that is that God also sees great gifts that we have, abilities and skills that we may not even realize in ourselves. And that's not a surprise, because God is the one who gave us those gifts. And so the good news this morning is that God is still in the business of calling ordinary, flawed persons 
such as you and me, into God's extraordinary ministry of reconciliation and restoration and healing. And it very well may be that our particular wounds uniquely qualify us for certain aspects of God's mission. Maybe the pains of my life will allow me to relate in a particular way to one person going through something that's difficult, whereas the disappointments and burdens that you have gone through may allow you to be present to someone else right as they need to hear a word of affirmation and support. God is calling each one of us individually and collectively into God's work of building up God's kingdom here on earth. And so while we may question whether we have anything to offer to the Lord, while there may be times when the reality of our own brokenness makes us hesitant to accept God's invitation, remember that the one who calls us to this work has also equipped us to live into it. After all, God sent the Holy Spirit following Jesus' resurrection and ascension to be our advocate and our guide. And we can trust that she will always direct us in ways which are pleasing to the Lord. God doesn't need perfect people, brothers and sisters. Just those who have a heart for service and who are willing to literally roll up their sleeves and to get their hands dirty in engaging and bringing the light of Christ to our wounded world. And so may God give you the courage and the confidence to continue serving as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, not only here in metropolitan Phoenix, but wherever it is, God may choose to send you. These things we pray in God's name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.